Jackson. Welcome back to the LEO Sideshow. I'm Frank Gebhardt. I'm joined with Patrick by Patrick Cortland. And thank goodness we finally have back Catherine Bope. Hi, guys. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's so nice to have you back. Uh, I told you this like before the end of season two that we had some people asking about you. When are you you bringing Catherine back? I know. That was very, very flattering and very exciting. (laughs) And... uh, yeah, so we're glad to have you back. And so as listeners, you probably know that this episode's going deep. Okay, so strap yourselves in. <laughs> we're talking about we're talking about uh, things that prosecutors wish that police would know. Think about that. That's going to be interesting. So to start us out here uh, for our uh, police word of the week, word of the day. We're going to talk about disclose and uh, Patrick. Yeah, sorry, my. Uh, do you have anything? Do you have anything you want to disclose right now? <laughs> yes. My son, my son's playing with the uh, kitchen in front of me. So uh, yeah, hopefully. <laughs> All right. So okay. So yeah. So disclose. Uh, yeah, is to make a secret or some information known. So like what. Patrick did there was he was like you can't see him I can see him but he's like uh, pointing his finger over to his son and and was like what the heck is going on and he disclosed to the audience now that he's you yeah know, saying hey son he uh, he took some of his fake food and stuff and went upstairs so hopefully mommy's up there making breakfast that's what she should be yeah. doing this morning right, oh jeez oh jeez. I mean, it's a really good thing you guys can't see my face right now. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Uh, anyway, so how does Disclose fit into the law enforcement realm? Well, I can tell you this, that with, with us talking about the relationship today between prosecutors and police, if police do not disclose everything about a case to a prosecutor, they're actually hurting the case. Uh, and because... What happened, Catherine? Have you ever been in a position where you found out some type of information on the eleventh hour of a case, and you're going to strangle a police officer? So uh, the number of times I have actually been right about to start a trial, like legitimately about to go pick a jury, oh. and then uh, an officer was like, "Okay," and they're flipping through all of their uh, their incident reports and things like that. And I'm like, "Wait, what's that?" I don't, I don't have that. Um, and, and I'll be perfectly honest. It's almost always just, it's a mistake. Um, but it's, it's very common, unfortunately. (laughs) But does, does that mean that, uh, I mean, has it been in that, in some of the instances that you're thinking of, does, is it something good enough that would have to be disclosed to the, uh, I'm at a loss for words. The um, defense. Uh, the defense. Yeah. yeah. So legitimately, if there's anything, uh, any sort of uh, reports, forms, photographs, literally anything that is in the custody of the police department, that is basically in the custody of the government. And therefore, we need to be able to provide that over to defense. So that's basically, if it is in the custody of the police that means it's in the custody of the prosecution as far as the courts are concerned and then it can get a little there's some leeway but there's not a ton of leeway so i've i've had uh, i've had a case uh i've had multiple cases i should say actually uh where that discovery has been excluded uh so Mm. i was not allowed to utilize those at trial uh, there were a number of times where uh, the cases had to be delayed, and that that happens. It was actually a bigger issue for the civilian witnesses that we had to bring on. Um, and then I think I've only had one case ever dismissed for sanctions, um, but that was like a very, very severe situation, wow. and that almost never happens. 
No, that, that and let me for I mean obviously we're not going into details here, but did that case have a a, a victim or was it the the victim the uh, the state or that that uh, I, thankfully I guess I should say uh, there weren't any civilian victims in that one. That was actually a drug case, oh, um, and it yeah. and it was like a, a lowered level quantity. I want it was either it was either heroin or crack cocaine, um, but it wasn't like the. In terms of the grand scheme of things, it wasn't the crime of the century. So, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Does it ever seem uh, when you have those last minute uh, like hiccups? Does it? Does do you get like a a look from the defense? Like, mm hmm. Yeah, you just found <laughs> yeah. this. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. All all the time. But um, you also probably get uh, some of the the repeat officers that might do that too, and you're like, mm hmm. Right. Mm- Yes. And you're giving that look to them then. So it is It is kind of interesting. So in terms of that issue with making, like, getting all of the different discovery or the evidence that a police officer has in their care, custody, and control, uh, it honestly follows just, it's a lack of communication between the parties. Uh, and it's a lack of communication between uh, both the prosecutor and the police officer um the from what i've experienced like so most uh da's offices depending on the varying of size like there is generally one person or a group of paralegals or something like that who will request initial discovery or something else along those lines but if there are additional reports or if a prosecutor asks an officer to follow up on something or like there's always stuff that slips through the cracks just constantly. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I know that in uh, my current office, we get initial discovery, but we generally don't get everything that we need. And it, that actually falls on the prosecutor to go and follow up on it being like, Hey, I think I'm missing this incident report. I'm missing this interview recording. Can you get that to me? So that that's actually one of those things Um I really do wish uh, cops realized is that even though you have everything, that doesn't necessarily mean that we have everything. And if we're littering your inbox being like, Hey, I need these things and I need these things by these certain dates. Could you pretty, pretty please get them to me? So I am not, you know, failing to turn over evidence that's going to result in sanctions. Uh, That would be swell. So you probably, you probably hate it when cops don't respond to their emails. I, I mean, I also have a uh, inbox that has a tendency to be a black hole. Oh, so yeah. I, I mean, I understand there there are hundreds and hundreds of emails in my inbox, and I try to get to every single one of them. Uh, and sometimes you do, and sometimes you don't. Uh, so I don't personally, I don't get super nerved up if I, um, if I have emailed an officer like twice uh and if they haven't responded by the second email generally i'll try to give them a call because it's easier to give a call or a text because again you guys are also super busy i don't know what you guys are up to um you might be you you do legitimately you do well the thing is i mean i know how it is too It's, it's sometimes a little bit more direct when you text or call and say, Hey, I need this. Then sometimes it can be just on up in, you know, in left field where not really thinking about it when emails come through and because, you know, sometimes our emails look like ticker tapes Mm -hmm. where it's just, it just never stops. So. Do you, do you think that your audience is old enough to understand what a ticker tape is? We hope. Actually, actually, (laughs) if uh, if you look at some of the statistics, our audience is primarily uh, like mid thirties. Oh, okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's a so great age. We should be good. Yeah. Great age. Yeah, it's it's great the best age. age as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, uh, yeah, Frank. yeah, it's perfect. That's a great age. Yeah, mid 30s. <laughs> uh, okay. Cool. Uh, so, so I, I'm switching it up a little bit this week. We don't really have a case of the week, a case law of the week. We're just going to do a, a, a research article from the Columbia Law School. Uh, written in 2000 or published in 2019, uh, written by Daniel Richman, uh, entitled Law Enforcement Organization Relationships. And again, we're, we're talking about these relationships because whether the public knows or not, but uh, this 
the criminal justice web uh, is, is exactly that. It's, it's like a web. We're all connected. We're all working together. Uh, but this particular article talks about how the relationship between police officers and prosecutors, uh, you know, have, have could use some could use some work. And I'll quote the uh, I'll quote a couple things here, and then we'll talk about it, and then we'll move on to the uh, meat of the episode. Meat. Uh, first, yeah. First off is, uh, let's see here, organizational alignment is horizontal rather than vertical with police and prosecutorial units working as equal partners and neither having a hierarchical power over the other. uh, so that 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 is what how we should see each other because we're we're still working for the same goal. We're still working for you know justice to enforce the law and to uh, make sure that nobody's rights are being violated and, and making people feel safe. And uh, that's you know we both have that same goal. But sometimes, and I'm sure uh, that's kind of what we're going to get into later in the episode. That sometimes it feels as though we are on two different levels and we are on two, not really two different teams, but just, we're just not communicating. And you already mentioned that already, communication. Uh, indeed, in most cases, police and prosecutors have separate lines of political accountability, which uh, it's, it's, I guess, another thought-provoking thing here where we do live in that political environment where, like, our our police commissioner, he's elected, you know, he's he's appointed. And, and your boss, Catherine, is elected. Mm-hmm. And you could see how some some how political uh, interests can bleed into our jobs when really it shouldn't. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It shouldn't, but it does. Have Have you spoken at all about your former commissioner on this? No, no, <laughs> no, we have not. Okay, because I think that's actually that's a I, I would like to raise that. Yeah. Um, Maybe when we're when, if this is go still going when we're about to retire, we might have an episode dedicated to the, that point in our careers. <laughs> <laughs> it was a tough time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, that's all we'll say on that. Hey, we, we're, we're still here. We made it through. Yes, yes, you did. Um, but you know, just actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna launch off on that point. Um, when you have those different levels of political accountability and different ideas of um, what's happening. So uh, I'll take a perfect example um, that doesn't directly deal with us. Uh, and that's actually uh, the Philly DA. So oh, yeah. oh, La- <laughs> Larry Krasner. Yeah. Um, so uh, Larry Krasner, he, ha- for those of you who are not familiar, he has been, considered himself to be one of the leaders in terms of uh, reformist prosecutors. He, he is trying or that his platform is that, uh, you know, the criminal justice system has been racially motivated for a very, very long time. Uh, There are, it's basically incredibly uh, expensive to be poor. We, the criminal justice system, basically preys upon the poor uh, and also uh, yeah, fuck the cops. I I think that's basically the very last part of it. Uh, I actually, I do have some anecdotal evidence. So just because I like causing trouble, Uh, apparently when Larry Krasner, when he was, uh, when he found out that he won at his uh, election watch party, uh, once they found out that he won, uh, someone started playing fuck the cops. So it was, uh, yeah. And my understanding is that tensions have just constantly escalated between Philly PD and the Philadelphia district attorney's office. And it's just gotten, it's gotten very hard uh, for police officers and also prosecutors there. Well, uh, over time, piggyback on that, I have a source that also says that because, well, if you actually read what he's doing now, he's kind of coming back, circling back. We'll use that circling back, but he's circling back to uh, you hate circling back and you just used it <laughs> where he's actually kind of saying that, OK, may, maybe what I've been doing hasn't been the best. I mean, if you see the numbers of, of the crime in Philadelphia at this point, yeah. He, 
Um, and to the point where f- federal prosecutors are taking like cases that are should be handled by the state. Yep. It's nuts. Yeah, the the Eastern District of Pennsylvania yeah. is really really busy because <laughs> because the, it's not you know, and I know I, again anecdotal evidence. There are officers, so please, with the caveat that uh, all of this is hearsay, uh, please take it for what you will. Um, but there have been I, I've there are officers that I know that I've learned like met over the course of my career who are just so incredibly frustrated because they can't do it. They feel that they're hamstrung and that they could take a case and put it on a silver platter and basically have it rejected. Now I I don't have any uh, colleagues. I don't know anyone personally uh, in the Philly DA's office because uh, once Krasner was elected, there was a mass exodus, so I don't really wow. know anybody who's there anymore. Um, but that's that's a perfect example, um, because you know the police officers are so unmotivated to do anything. You know, it's incredibly difficult when you're in a situation where, hey, I arrested that guy for illegally possessing a loaded firearm yesterday, and I see him out walking on the street. Like, w- what happened? And um, then there's also the situation where, you know, if you have the opposite, so if you have a, a more moderate uh, district attorney and then you have a really super liberal police commissioner or police chief, you know, where they're trying to, um, and then there's also the concept of like, hey, the mayor, because the the chief and the commissioner are generally beholden to whatever the city's mayor is and then whatever their priorities are. um, Yeah. It ends up being incredibly complicated. Uh, I know one of the things that's been challenging across the country right now is just marijuana and how (laughs) people want to end up taking on marijuana and small amounts. Is it like, do you just write the kid uh, a ticket and then take the weed or do you charge them with possessory offenses or do you take the weed and then throw it in the river? Like there are a bunch of different things that people have priorities for and all these different departments have different perspectives on it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that that, uh, and you know, we should really have an updated episode on marijuana, uh, Patrick, because I think that that almost could be, I don't even know what because this is where I think in my mind of where community policing comes in, where it's like, well, what does the, what does the community want? What does the public want as far as this? And, and, you know, how do we balance that with, you know, DUI driving? Because I think that that's probably going to be one of your biggest, your biggest concerns with that. And I know I don't want to turn this into a marijuana episode, but, but, you know, we don't, you know, we see that there's the smoking marijuana really isn't the crime of the century. However, Pat, oh, you got you. All of us here on the show right now will agree that some of our biggest crimes, including homicides, are because of bad marijuana deals or just yep. oh, marijuana deals that were set up so that a robbery could occur or that you know a robbery gone wrong with it and turns up into a homicide. So uh, had, it, it's not had, so we've simple. Had more, yeah, we've had more major like assaults and homicides over marijuana that we've had over like heroin and crack, crack. heroin. Meth. Yeah. I mean, and, and maybe that's just the, the region that we're in, but, but I, I like that. I love, I love the marijuana discussion uh, because it, it, you know, I think we're, you know, things are changing, but I don't like how people think it's so simple. You know, it's, it's really not that simple. And I'm, I'm curious to see how some of the other States have uh, really, how, how they've come, you know, like uh, Colorado, I know, uh, Patrick talked about that a couple of different times about how it was a mess there, but I really, you know, maybe we need to get somebody on the show that is from there to say, Hey, this is exactly what we've seen in our community and how it's changed. NDC. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I don't think before, before I let you talk there, Kat, the one thing I wanted to say is I don't think it's, we're so much against legalizing it. It's just, you can't just throw it in and then not deal with the consequences of planning out what's going to go happen. And I think that's where a lot of the legislature is coming from. It's just my opinion. 
Oh, I mean, creating laws that actually don't have well-implemented plans right, and right, then just being exactly. like, oh, let's see how it shakes out. Yeah, that's basically <laughs> yeah, yes. every single legislature ever. <laughs> yeah. yep. uh, well, one last thing with this article, I did, and then we'll move on, is uh, is that basically this ends up in, when we talk about this relationship between the police and the, the, the prosecutors and the, any potential struggles that happen there, is that ultimately the prosecutors or the district attorney's office are the gatekeepers and uh and they kind of have like a monopoly on how, where like how what outcomes those cases have uh but you know but and it sound that sounds kind of bad on the but it's actually really good though too because this gatekeeping uh can weed out bad cases, cases with insufficient evidence, cases of, of uh, maybe a, a bad search, uh, you know, cases where it might be better to plead or, you know, just different things like that. And, and I know, Catherine, you've seen it. You see it every day that, uh, that you as a gatekeeper to the cases coming through uh, save the, the state money. Uh, it saves the, you know, the the offender money it saves you know the it's just it can be a money thing it can be like what for the best interest of the parties involved i mean it can be many different things benefit from the da's office being a gatekeeper to these cases mm-hmm. yeah so. uh, prosecutorial discretion is a i know that it's been getting a lot of um attention in the media as of late uh <clears throat> especially when it comes to Uh, indicting or charging officers that are involved in the death of uh, black men and women after uh, officer-involved shootings. But I will continue to reiterate that prosecutorial discretion is legitimately one of the most important tools that we possibly have uh, in terms of Every single case needs to be treated individually. You, there is no one size fits all. It is not a formulaic option. You need to look at what the the facts of the case are, how strong your evidence is. Um, if there is a victim, what the victim wants out of it. Um, the vast majority of states have a victims' uh, crimes right bill or crime victims' rights bill, I should say. Uh, where we are legally mandated to do certain things uh, in order to make sure that victims are being heard. Um, Also, the availability of witnesses. Witnesses may have moved or died or actually new fun thing based upon the pandemic. They may not be willing to participate. Right. Um, And then also the rehabilitative needs of the defendant as well. You know, is this an individual who um, we basically have given up all hope on, or is this an individual who recognizes, all right, I have a problem and they actually want to get treatment um, and stay on the straight and narrow, but they, for whatever reason, haven't had access to that treatment. Is that a better option? Um, and then uh, there are other situations where um, the there are legal consequences that come in that are just sort of, it's not worth it. Um, so I'll take a, a perfect example. So I'm sure that you folks have spoken about speedy trial rights, um, or I think we may have even spoken about speedy trial rights at various different points in time. Um, yes. So what is not an uncommon occurrence is that an individual will uh, pick up charges and they will receive a warrant for those charges and that warrant will sit and sit and sit. And then all of a sudden it's a decade later and then they finally are like, oh, I have this warrant. I didn't realize. Um, And then when they come in and, uh, you know, there are certain things that have to be done in terms of due diligence on behalf of the Commonwealth trying to locate somebody. But I just had a case where, it was a <clears throat> a retail theft from I want to say 2010. The person stole like a candy bar. It wasn't even <sighs> a dollar. Uh, and then it wasn't the king size. It was not the king size. No. <clears throat> and it it was a dollar. 
Uh, he had been a habitual offender, so you know this was his tenth something retail theft, and he had been doing a big old string of them. Well, he ended up uh, never responding to that those charges. There was a warrant that was issued. Um, <clears throat> he was out of state, um, and then he comes back, and we had done literally nothing with this case, and. Uh, based upon my evaluation in terms of speedy trial rights and the uh, the operation mechanism that we have, the statutory requirements for speedy trial, I was like, oh, this this case is this case is DOA, um, wow. and so I'm I'm uh, dismissing the case. I'm dismissing the charges because it's not worthwhile. It is not a worthwhile time uh, and energy and money for the state to proceed forward on a theft of a candy bar from 10 years ago for a guy who's not picked up any additional charges. It just, yeah. Like, you you want me to be more focused on, you know, the homicides that I have than this retail theft. Right, right. And that, again, you're, you're saving the time, energy, and money uh, from making that decision. Right. And, and you could almost morally or eth- ethically say that that might be the best decision too at this point right. just because you know he hasn't done any more offending and yes we're not excusing what he did but or what they did but yeah yeah so hmm. interesting so this is the point of the show where uh Catherine gets to kind of beat uh patrick and i up so uh <laughs> no 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 I, oh, <laughs> well how about how about would you enlighten us Enlighten a, a delicate term, but yes. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Enlighten. I like that. Uh, so there. <clears throat> all right. So things that prosecutors wish officers would know. Um, and, and there are definitely ones where I'm not going to say I'm beating up on you. Absolutely not. Uh, there, there are things that we wish officers would do better um, there are th- also things that we wish prosecutors would do better. So I'm going to beat up on my own profession a little bit as well, if that makes you feel better. Yeah. Go for um, it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get the really big one out of the way. Um, it is really, really important to give the whole picture to a prosecutor when you are contacting them about a case, when you have, when you're documenting it in your incident report, when you're having that conversation right before the hearing. Um, and I've now been doing this uh, for a very long time. And on a, on a small handful of occasions, I've had officers uh, massage the facts in order to get charging approval or I've had officers who have straight up lied in order to approve charges. Um, don't do that. Just <laughs> overall, well, don't do that. And, and you know, why, from your experience, what is, why are they massaging the facts? Are they looking for that quick arrest? Are they looking for, are they being lazy and, and don't feel like doing a search warrant or don't feel like interviewing another witness or don't feel like going out and trying to find evidence. Like, is that why officers are, are lying or massaging the facts when they give you a call to, to get approval to, to, you know, do this charge? So I think it's a couple of different things because I've had officers who have massaged the facts. And generally when I'm talking about lying, I'm talking about lies of omission. If I, I have thankfully yet to, interact with any officer and have them lie directly to my face. I'm very grateful for that because that's good, yeah. yeah, that's, that's a whole other <laughs> separate issue. Um, but I think what happens is for whatever reason, uh, an officer ends up becoming very personally invested in a case. Um, yeah. Or alternatively, you know, it is the very last call that they responded to at the end of a 12 hour shift. <laughs> and, it you know they just caught a guy for a DUI and the guy's being a massive jerk and um they really think that they can actually get this guy on the DUI but they want to call the ADA to confirm the ADA is asking all of these questions and the ADA is like I you know I don't 
I don't know if that's enough. I think, and then they're like, oh, well, X, Y, Z thing. Um, and they're like, oh, okay, yeah, no, that sounds fine. You can go ahead and charge. And then it doesn't end up being X, Y, Z thing. Um, yeah. So, well, you know, and, and I think that, you know, and this is something uh, that, I, that I know is, is out there is that if, say if I, you know, I have a relationship with you. I know, I know what you, well, we're friends. Uh, we talk outside of work and uh, now when I call you, you know, am I going to feel slighted if you don't approve charges? Are you going to feel awkward if you don't approve charges? You know, now, you know, how does that play into it? Because, you know, do we try to, you know what, don't call Catherine, call the random ADA that's on call so that there is no, you know, weirdness that happens in the, you know, charge, you still get that objectivity that you're looking for. Oh, absolutely. And I understand that. I absolutely understand that. But even when, when you call me, Frank, or when Pat calls me, or heck, there have been times where Alan has called me. Um, (laughs) No, well, okay. Hang up, hang up. That's a quick, easy access right there. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Yeah, that's why you marry a prosecutor. I completely understand that. Uh, No. And, And in fact, honestly, I'm going to be even more well based on my own personal beliefs i'm going to be even more rigorous and i'm going to go over it with an even more fine-tooth comb um because i don't want any sort of personal affinity that i have for either of you or you know my husband that guy uh to get in the way of any sort of criminal investigation i think that's incredibly important um and i will say I think every single call that I've gotten from uh, Alan, I've basically told him, no, 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 go get a warrant. You go have to do more work. I've never given him the answer that he's always looking for. Um, (laughs) So actually, I think think you're doing that on purpose. (laughs) No comment. Anyway, but no, I, I really actually appreciate that I have built up relationships with officers and detectives, uh, troopers, etc. over the years that they know based upon um, my relationship with them that I am going to respond quickly, give, <clears throat> give them the best answer that I possibly can give them, and I'm going to work and it doesn't matter if it's, you know, four in the afternoon or four in the morning, I'm going to do my absolute best to help them out. And I really like that. I think that's a very important relationship that officers and prosecutors actually need to develop because they, um, that's how things get better. Honestly, that's yeah. how things get better. That's how you, uh, and this actually leads into another thing. Um, I think it's, when we're talking about police officers and prosecutors, there's this perception, at least from police officers, that, all right, you file charges, they go off to the courthouse, and then you never hear anything ever again. Like, you have no idea what happened with cases. There, I mean, that does happen, where it's just like, whatever happened to that? Right. And that's and that's not the way it should be. Um I am a very strong proponent in believing that, you know, we care about the cases that you care about. If you tell us that this is a case that's very important to me, or it's clear based upon the incident report and our conversations, you've put a ridiculous amount of work into it. It is an obligation for the prosecutor to treat that with that level of care and responsibility rather than, again, I'm going to constantly use the examples of, hey, the person who has a dime bag of marijuana or stole a candy bar from a gas station. We're not going to, we are going to treat those with the level of respect that we need to you know, we're always going to take them seriously. But, you know, if you have spent months and months on an investigation and this is someone that, you know, you know, has uh, has caused a lot of problems in your community, then, yeah, we're going to try to work really hard to make sure that 
that you were involved in every step of the way in the process. Like, I'm actually, I'm curious. So you two are now in different positions than you were when you were just in patrol. How frequently have you filed charges and um, have you heard from prosecutors later on down the line asking for your opinion or input for what should happen with sentencing? So I, I, I'll speak that uh, I'd say for, for over the years, it really depends on some of the prosecutors. Mm-hmm. Some prosecutors have been awesome with yeah. texting, calling and getting opinions and, uh, and then others just don't. And um, I, I don't know what that is, but, but again, that's been my experience. It almost has come down to the, the prosecutor. Yeah. I mean, I, w- I would just say from my, it, it, it does come down. I mean, I'm not in a position where I'm really filing charges anymore. Uh, but when I was, then it, it did come down on the prosecutor. And for the most part, I can, I can speak on Frank's behalf too. Like we're pretty easy going. It's like, it, you know, you, you give us, you know, a fair assessment of what needed to be done and we're going to pretty much go along with it. You know what I mean? Like you'll prevent, well, I was thinking this and we're like, yeah, sure. You know what I mean? We don't, we don't have any angst or anything like that for the most part. Okay. But, you know, it, it just, but I can tell you like even I mean, prosecutor, you know, uh, I think that that's something that is that specifically our uh, DA's office is working on because uh, with some of the changes with DAs going to preliminary hearings, I think that they get their hands in the case sooner. And I could t- I speak specifically last week I was at a case and I don't think that the ADA was going to keep it. But then he was like, you know, what, I'm going to stick with this case because, you know, the stuff that we dealt with today. And, you know, I appreciated that. And I actually just called him yesterday about it, too. So, again, again, that, you know, comes down to some of that relationship uh, and just, um, I don't know, we're at a point in our career, too, where we're not afraid to, or, you know, we're pretty familiar with the DA's office. We're pretty familiar with the the criminal justice system and the process. uh, And we're not afraid to, you know, self-evaluate our cases and, and, do whatever needs to be done and take some criticism on them either. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, as a young, as, as, as you a young officer, it might just be odd yeah. or awkward. Yes. Yeah. But I mean, that's one thing I will say that the more experience you get as a law enforcement officer, the more you self evaluate what you need to do in the future or what you did wrong. Like it's, you're not so, you know, vain that you can look yourself in the mirror and say, yeah, I probably should have done a little better on this case a couple of years ago. But I mean, that's that that's such as life in this career that you learn from your mistakes and you move on. You know, that is that's awesome, because one of the things I was going to raise, actually, uh, is it's really important that officers don't let pride get in their way of their jobs um, and don't let their pride get in the way of communication with uh, the prosecutor. Uh, There have been a number of occasions where officers have made mistakes. They've either made mistakes over the course of their investigation or they've um, made, uh, I think the things we run into most frequently are the the snarky comments that are made over the course of uh, a hearing that end up being in a transcript that we later have to deal with because it either opens up uh, further, uh, further legal argument or alternatively, it just looks bad in front of a jury. Um, and, and it's one of those things, and actually I think this could go for every single profession, um, you know, not letting you stand in your own way of things. Uh, I, I've had to have a number of really uncomfortable conversations with police officers um, where they have, they've made a mistake in some capacity, or they have become um, really belligerent or argumentative on the stand um and it just it it goes so incredibly poorly and then i'll have to pull them back and be like hey i i understand that you're fired up i understand the defense attorney is getting underneath your skin um i understand that you know you didn't intend for this to be the mistake that it was um but you you gotta calm down and you know gather yourself together. This is not, you know, even though it feels like it's a direct attack on you, it's not a direct attack on you. We're just trying to make sure that we're 
giving the best case possible. Um, and I've had officers who have responded like they're like, yeah, yeah, I, I understand. You know, they just got hot under the collar or something else along those lines. Or again, um, yeah, you know, it was a mistake that I made in the course of the investigation. I took a shortcut or, um, you know, I didn't think this one through all the way, or I didn't call the prosecutor to get an opinion about what I should be doing. Um, and, you know, thankfully, that's been the vast majority of my conversations. Um, there have also been the conversations where uh, an officer decides to just like, basically scream in my face and tell me that wow. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and Well, you, and... you let me know if Alan does that again. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the, so, I mean, but again, that's, that's for every single profession. Um, but uh, one specific example, uh, in terms of letting pride, uh, get in the way of things is that there have been certain officers and it, it ranges the, you know, all, uh, all the different kinds of departments, big, medium, small, um, it completely depends on the, sorry, uh, it doesn't matter whether they are a veteran or they're a new guy. Every once in a while, and I'm sure you folks can um, agree with me, there are cases and there are defendants that really get to you. You know, it's the the guy who's been making trouble in the neighborhood, doing drug deals for forever and a day, and then finally you're able to catch him, and you have what you believe it is to be enough evidence to actually proceed forward on charges. Um, or alternatively, you know, there are some officers where a defendant has become combated with them and they've sustained injuries as a result of, um, as a result of taking that person into custody. Uh, and so as a result, like there are cases that, that stick with you that end up being more important. And I, I'm curious if you folks have had that conversation with the prosecutor who comes to you and says, I'm sorry, man, we don't have enough to proceed forward. Or I'm sorry, this is not the strongest case that we have. I'm going to plea it out to something that is, you know, lesser because this is the charge I think that we can actually, um, we can prove. And, you know, I've had, I'm curious about that. Yeah. It, it, I think it, it, it happens it doesn't happen often, but when it happens, it kind of is refreshing in my opinion, because I can tell you just a, a couple, a couple of weeks ago, I called for approval for some charges and in my mind, uh, it was simple, mm -hmm. you know, uh, it was a, actually like a, a conspiracy or a solicitation, uh, that I wanted to get approval for. And, uh, and I didn't get approval. And what I found was, is that I kind of had that, uh, uh, like that tunnel vision of that this is what uh, I know and that this must, this is all true. What well, the prosecutor ended up saying, you know what? I don't know if I like, not, I don't know if I like that, but just, Hey, maybe you could look at this and that over here and then get back to me with, with this or wait for these search results to come back before we do anything. And again, it kind of, I guess, slows you down and, you know, we just want to kind of stamp it, get that stamp of approval from a DA and send it through when really, uh, you know, they're kind of getting that 30,000 foot view of the whole case. They're thinking about the end game of the case. So it, it gives it a little different perspective. So I, I don't mind it. And I can see where pride can come in. And it kind of seems like, you know, they don't know what they're talking about. You know, this, this person did it. You know, this is the evidence. Uh, but again, uh, we we didn't go to law school. Some of us didn't go to college. Some of us didn't go, you know, wasn't in the military. Not that it helps out with like building cases uh, sometimes. But, uh, you know, some of us have about, you know, a thousand hours of uh, police academy time and then on the job experience, uh, not discounting any of that. However, you know, we are talking to another professional who has done uh, tons of schooling and is kind of looking at the the end game. So. I, I don't I don't mind it and but I'm not one to really get worked up and neither am I uh, but I, I will say that that has helped us like through the you know it has helped us as supervisors knowing what you know prosecutors are necessarily looking for or 
you know, missteps that we have made in prior investigations that we know that, you know, getting that perspective from the prosecutor allows us to, you know, come back and take that again, that overall view and look at the case. So we can provide that to officers, you know, that we're supervising and say, yeah, this is a good job what you did, but, you know, maybe we just need to do this one more thing to make sure that the, the case is a solid case going forward. Cause again, just like Frank said, you get that tunnel vision, you want to make the arrest, you want to do this. And you're like, all right, I did this. I did this. I got the, I got the individual under arrest. And it's like, well, here's this other avenue that, you know, the defense is probably going to look at. So we need to maybe kind of take a look at, you know, investigate that to make sure that we've, you know, not only shown that we're going to look at what a possible defense is going to be, but just to kind of shore up all our loose ends. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And there there have definitely been, so I'm actually going to take a quick step back. I really appreciate how reasonable and and calm, and I've always appreciated about this uh, with you too. Like you are the kind of officers that we need to have more of. You are generally very level-headed. You're very cool, and and at a certain point, you'll almost be clinical. Uh, I wish you could see our faces right now. I, I really wish I could see <laughs> your faces too. Um, I want to see. I'm actually. I really wish Alan was here. You know, giving. Oh yeah. He give his own two cents. Giving compliments, um, but the the way that you're approaching uh, approaching this right now that's the that's incredibly important. And you know, everyone have everyone has an ego, and everyone yeah. and if they really like what they're doing, they feel pride in their work. And there's the right way to take it and the wrong way to take it. And um, I have absolutely one hundred percent had my own moments where you know i've let my own ego get in the way of things uh in terms of like trials and objections and i've lost my cool Uh, it happens to everybody Mm. but the the fact that you're taking any sort of constructive criticism from a prosecutor and saying i you know recognizing that we have the legal training that it's important to at least again defer a little bit to the prosecutor uh, acknowledging that different level of expertise. However, um, I do really think it's important, and I you touched on this a little bit earlier, Frank. Um, if there is something that, so we'll use the example of, hey, uh, you know, you folks have been on the force for what a decade? Twelve. Twelve. Yeah. Okay. Oh. Um. So. You've been on the force for 12 years. You end up going to a preliminary hearing and there is this like shiny baby faced brand new prosecutor who's literally like right out of law school and they look like they are 12. Um, When there are prosecutors that are brand new to the system after they've been supervised for a while and they're kind of going out on their own, they're still going to make mistakes. Um, Heck, even veteran prosecutors will make mistakes and there are points in time where uh we'll screw up big time and i personally think it's incredibly important that officers know uh that you can actually reach out to that prosecutor that prosecutor's supervisor um something else along those lines and be like hey i i think this prosecutor screwed something up big time. I think that there is a sense of of fear because the officer doesn't want to necessarily taint that relationship. They don't want to be seen as they're going and ratting on the prosecutor, or alternatively, they have the belief, well, the prosecutor was the one that, you know, again, they've had all this schooling. They're the one with the law degree. They probably know better. Um, but I know, I know it happens. I don't know if Alan ever told you the story of um oh give us some juicy details uh so there was a it was a long it was many many years ago so alan was still um he was still a patrol officer and it uh he was still with his partner um at the time um and yeah and his partner's now working off in uh he's now a detective so they don't 
I, th- I think he works with you more often, Frank, than, uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's in detective land. Yes, he's in detective land. So anyway, it was, it was a DUI case and it was on for a motion to suppress and, uh, Alan, um, and the other officers had basically asked the prosecutor, Hey, can we see the motion to suppress? We want to make sure that we are aware of what the issues are. So that way we're making sure we're addressing it in our testimony. Um, they're being good doobies about it. And they're reading this and they're a little, they're a little surprised. They're like, wait, wasn't there a case that came out? Like, I don't know, within the last year, that's directly on point with this. Um, and the prosecutor's like, ah, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Meh, meh, meh. Um, and then the, uh, they're going through this hearing and again, Alan is poking the prosecutor's like, Hey, look, dude, I looked this up. I have, I have the case right here. This is the thing that I'm talking about. And like, this is going to solve everything. Like argue this. Um, and the prosecutor's like, meh, blah, 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 blah. So they end up losing the motion to suppress. And we end up taking it on appeal. And in the appeal, our appellate division, lo and behold, ends up making the arguments and citing the cases that Alan was trying to draw to the prosecutor's attention. Like, it, I don't know if, he, has he ever told you yes. the story? I, yeah. I, he has told me that. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, that is a, I think probably like a once in a career situation. It, I think it was just because uh, you folks had just had a case law update or just had a training. It was fresh in his mind um, because I can't imagine any other occasion where officers are able <laughs> to recall specific case names off the top of their head. I mean, if you do it, then that's really impressive. I can barely do it. So, um, but you know, that I, I know, I remember how fired up, uh, he was and all the other officers were because they're like, why did we come in here and this entire case ended up getting dragged on for forever and a day because you didn't argue a point that we're giving to you that is very clearly applicable. Um, and you know what? They never they never reached out to the office. They never end up having a conversation with that prosecutor or that prosecutor's supervisor. Um, and honestly, I think they should have. I honestly yeah. believe that. Well, you know, uh, it's it's been interesting because I remember I remember when I first started, one of the old heads said that there's going to be a time when you get so experienced that you'll have to kind of guide the, the DA that you're that is assigned to your case, and that it really never happened to me up until probably around that ten year mark when newer DAs were coming into the office, and I it like hit me, and I was like, wow, this is one of those times where. Like they're not, they don't know exactly like, because it was a convoluted drug case with a PC search warrant and uh, a PC by search warrant. And it was like, I, I distinctly remember having to like walk the DA through why this case was good. And there was another time where I basically told the DA, and this wasn't a criminal trial, but at a, um, at a preliminary hearing where I was just like, Hey, just like ask me my name and then I'm just going to go. And as long as you let me, as long as I hit all the points, you know, I'm just going to, I'm just going to testify at the whole thing. Like I don't need you to ask me all these questions. Like I'm just going to go. I, I'm going to, I know I'm going to hit all the points. And, uh, but yeah, that, that took a while, but, but yeah, I mean, I guess what you're, the point you're saying is that like, Hey, you know, even though we put a lot of weight on prosecutors and uh, you know, their training and their experience uh, that we that you're still going to have some inexperienced or new, or, or you may just have a, a, you know, you might be more well-versed in a certain area because of your experience mm-hmm. than a prosecutor. Yeah, a- absolutely. And I, it, it is weird, you know, you, once you become the old head, when you start recognizing, oh, the thing that, you know, my supervisor told me like a decade ago is coming true. That's really, really weird. Yeah. Um, it's like you're becoming your parents type of thing. Oh, it's awful. It's terrible. Um, as I, I, you know, I, I, I joke right now, but um, Frank and Pat have probably seen just the, um, the, the slew of the 
the baby ADAs that have been in our office, and they're probably getting to work with them and experience them more because we're trying to get folks to go out to preliminary hearings more. But it is weird because I, I see myself in some of the, the baby prosecutors where they're just like so gung-ho and so energetic and they still know nothing. Um, during my, When I was first getting trained as a prosecutor, I was told that you are completely worthless until six months in and then you are slightly less worthless until you're a year and basically once you have a year of prosecution under your belt that's when you are anywhere close to being worth your salt um and all of it's just experience because there are always going to be weird situations that you're running into that you had never learned about and heck i'm still learning new things every day i actually um oh wait i think Pat will appreciate this. I learned this past week that you can do a DUI on a bicycle. I had no idea. You didn't know that? I did. Oh, man. I've had three of those in my career. That's amazing. (laughs) Well, and that's one of those things. Like, I never handled DUIs until recently. And then all of a sudden, I got a DUI case. I'm like, that can't be right. You can't get a DUI on a bicycle. It is is considered a vehicle. Vehicle. (laughs) <laughs> yep. <laughs> Which, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, you think like we, you know, you don't think about, I mean, one of those for me was the dude caused an accident. Like, oh, wow. You know, okay. Yeah. Like that. It, uh, who is, who is it? What, what's the, uh, there's another, there's a, uh, a, a female, uh, female in our office who's now works with Frank, who's, uh, in the detective land as well. And she had one and the dude was like close to like a, a 0.4. <laughs> Oh jeez! Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, hey, it makes sense. Nope, I've we've we've we her her and I have had one together where it was like some dude. You could like tell like it's not that hard to tell when someone's like wobbling on a bicycle. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Who who was it who pulled over the train? Oh, that that was uh, uh, a high ranking. Yeah, that's a yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that was one of the best stories I ever heard pulling over the train <laughs> and then being completely right in the right for pulling over the train that was the best part he's like no 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 i, I got the i got the vehicular code memorized <laughs> yeah yeah no yeah do you want a bike that's a that's a solid charge solid charge. Well, and and it was one of the things that you know if uh, honest to god if i've been at the station and you and i were talking and you were like writing up charges for a dui on a bike i would have given you like a load of shit about that because I'd be like, no, you can't do a DUI on a bike. But that, and that's something, again, it's just a perfect example of I need to learn from you folks because there are definitely going to be areas of my knowledge that are lacking. You talk to me about um, any sort of like massive computer crime or you talk to me about mitochondrial DNA and all this other like higher level quote-unquote important case stuff but i didn't know that you could get a dui on a bike everyone has areas that they lack in that their is own. a solid charge <laughs> DUI on a bike man <laughs> yeah i actually do have to get with you Catherine, because i've been dealing with so much cyber stuff over the last two weeks that my mind is going crazy so oh the dark net no not the dark net the dark web it's it's yeah, the dark web or the deep tip. web? Oh, geez. <laughs> Probably the dark deep web. The deepest, darkest regions of the dark web? Yes. Do you, do you have to use a Tor browser to get there? Yes, that's what we're talking about. Okay, we, okay. We've been talking about doing an episode about that for, forever, but we just don't have a, an expert to, to talk. Well, yeah, you do. Okay. Well, get ready because... It's we've been talking about. I think we literally we've been talking about I since like season one. Rather episode. hear an episode about DUIs on bikes. I you know that would be. A, have you done a war stories episode? I feel like a war stories episode know, would be we amazing. We, we really should. We could now that I we should because we've we've you know the whole reason for doing this was just to kind of spread some education yeah. and uh, but we really ha- we don't every now and again a war story comes in but we really haven't done any war stories. We might throw it in there. Yeah. Right. Um, so. so one one last thing, and, and again, it's because Frank, you brought it up. I cannot begin to emphasize this as uh, enough. 
this is really, really important for all of the police officers out there. Call us. Absolutely call us. And and don't, I mean, you can shoot us an email. You can call our office number. Find out what our cell phone is. Like, find the the prosecutor that you click with well and get their cell phone number and call us. That's so incredibly important. If you have questions about your cases, if you want to discuss a search warrant, if you want, if you are running into an area that you're completely unfamiliar with, like the deep, deep dark web, um, that that's the yeah, the completely official term. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Can we get in there too about uh, GME? <laughs> Did Alan tell you he bought GME? Oh yeah, okay. yeah, we were rooting for him. <laughs> Hey, he broke yeah. even. I'm I'm perfectly yeah. fine with all of it. <laughs> he he did, uh, he did at one point say, "I was like, what if I just took our 401k?" No, no. Hey, by the way, did you guys see that article where that that guy who uh, it was a engineering student? I think I want to say like Cornell or something like that. He won thirty thousand dollars from like the whole GameStop thing. He donated oh, all of it to like thirty thousand dollars, and he donated all to the Minnesota Children's Hospital. Oh, that's nice. That, I've seen a lot of really good stories yeah. about that. I saw yeah. um, there was another guy who uh, who's a uh, medical student studying to be a surgeon, and he donated all of his um, everything that he made off of the GME stock to do uh, heart surgeries for children. I was like, yeah, just good stuff. Really sweet. Some good stories come out of it. Um, but yes, yeah, call us. Call us. Text us ask us questions because going back to the very beginning of this episode in terms of how things should be structured, um, it should be a situation where we are working together as partners. You know, it's not a situation of you file the charges, they go up to the courthouse, you never find out what happens with them again. That doesn't help you. That doesn't help society. um, That doesn't help us fight crime and build better cases. It's going to be so much more important if you are calling us and asking us questions and saying, you know, this, this, and this happened. Do I have these criminal charges or what do I need to put in here to get this search warrant? Or, hey, I'm talking to a victim right now. Um, What are the questions that I should be asking this person? Uh, These are all things that are really helpful. And by building a better case in the future, sorry, in the past, it ends up helping a whole lot of things in the future. So, you know, there are times, and I know that there even have been issues in the past where uh, departments don't want to call the prosecutors for various different reasons, or you have to get uh, sort of a, a sergeant's approval or another supervising officer's approval in order to call a prosecutor, but you it's really important that you do so. If you have a situation where there is an on-call phone, you know, definitely go ahead and call the on-call number. But like I said, you know, having that one prosecutor where you can talk to them um, and ask them all the different questions and be like, hey, I don't know who's actually assigned to my criminal case. Um, Who, you know, can you tell me who that is? Or, hey, uh, what's the status of this or um, anything else along those lines, even like really low level sort of clerical things, call us. We're here to help. We're here to get answers, but you know, you're going to be able to find that one prosecutor uh, or a handful of prosecutors who you are going to be on good terms with, who will always be able to, you know, answer your call, answer your questions um, and help you out. Like, just do it. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, again, um, I'm going to go over some of the stuff, just the, the, the points here that, that Catherine made is that, uh, you know, one that I have written down here is give the whole picture to a prosecutor about the case, Get you know, whether that be in the report over the phone uh, before court Two. Do not lie or massage the facts. Uh, lies, when we're talking about lies of omission, you know, if you're ashamed that you didn't do something or didn't get something, don't be afraid to say it. Uh, three, um, you know, prosecutors care about the cases that we officers care about. So don't think that uh, we're not on the same team. They're going to do their due diligence and they're going to k- try to keep us in, in, in the loop of what's going on with the case. 
Four, don't let pride get into the way of business. Five, remember that police and prosecutors are lifelong learners and that uh, we can learn from each other. And the last one we talked about was just call a prosecutor. Call them. Shoot them an email. Shoot them a text. Uh, call the office, whatever it is. But, uh, yeah, do all those things and we'll be able to work together much much better. Yeah, we'll post uh, Catherine's cell phone number in the uh, episode description for you guys. <laughs> uh, hey, that's fine. That's my work number. It's not my personal. We're all good. <laughs> so, uh, well, thank you for uh, coming on the show again, Catherine. We always love having you on here, uh, and we'll have to. We won't make it through uh, season three without having you on again, just because it, yeah. it seems like it's such a nice and easy flowing, fun episode. Uh, so, thanks for coming on. Uh, remember, every all the listeners. Don't forget to uh, check us out at the LAOSideshow.com at our website. Uh, we're on Twitter at L underscore Sideshow, Instagram, the LAO Sideshow. Uh, email us at Frank at the LAO Sideshow, Patrick at the LAO Sideshow.com. And uh, let us know what you think. If you, uh, again, have any issues with what we said today, or if you have a, a, a suggestion for an episode, we're not afraid to, to do it. So, Hit us up. Let us know how we're doing. Uh, give us a good review. Share it to friends, family. Uh, and again, we appreciate you. So Thank anything you else, Pat or Catherine? Nope. Thanks for having me on, folks. All right. All right. We're signing off. See ya. Proceed.